the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. The miraculous feeding of the 5,000 occurs in every gospel. A separate miraculous feeding of 4,000 occurs in two gospels, the gospels of Matthew and Mark, and Mark's account is our gospel for today. Both feeding miracles are occasioned by a crisis that Jesus himself created. Jesus led people to a place where there was no food. This is, of course, a biblical pattern. God led Israel into the wilderness in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested in the New Testament. And if we follow Jesus, we will eventually be led to a place where there's not enough of what we want or need. We don't always respond well to the crisis. The biblical word for not responding well in the Old Testament is murmuring. God's new covenant people have also been known to grumble and complain. St. Paul exhorted the Philippians to do all things without complaining and arguing because they were, in fact, complaining and arguing. Murmuring or complaining are answered by the virtue of contentment. Contentment as a virtue means being at peace with one's circumstances. Contentment does not mean pretending everything is okay. Contentment is not freedom from struggle. Rather, contentment results from holding on to Christ in the midst of the struggle and trusting that God is in control even when it's not entirely clear what God is doing or how God is doing it. There is an important emotional aspect to prayer in seasons of need and unfulfilled desire. Faithful prayer in the wilderness includes expressions of sadness, grief, anger, and longing that are normal responses to conditions of need and discomfort. In our culture, an attitude of positive thinking and fake cheerfulness are often, is often mistaken for an attitude of faith and faithfulness. But genuine biblical faith does not deny that painful things hurt. Consider Jesus. He cried at the tomb of Lazarus. He was angry at people's hardened hearts. He mourned over the city of Jerusalem because he knew the city would reject him. He sweat great drops of blood in his agony in the garden. And he said, ouch, when they drove nails through his hands and feet because it hurt. This is why the Psalms are central to the prayers of the church. They help us process the normal emotions of life through our habits of prayer. The wilderness struggle is rooted in the tension between two realities that are present within us. One is the reality of our mortality with its attendant pain, challenges, disappointments, bodily ailments, and death. The other reality is the Holy Spirit and the gift of eternal life with its attendant gifts of faith, hope, 
love, joy, and peace. The two are intrinsically connected. God saved the world through the cross and passion of Jesus. He won for us eternal life through the temporal battle. And this is the pattern for our life in Christ. God is working out his eternal purpose in our lives through our temporal struggles. As 2 Corinthians says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. But why does God do it this way? Why does Jesus lead us to a place where there's not enough? Why doesn't he just take the hunger and the pain away right now? The wilderness only makes sense if we see the spiritual life, life in this world, as a process of being formed into the image of Christ, a process in which our disordered desires are redirected towards their true source of fulfillment. Sometimes in our culture, salvation is presented as a mere insurance policy that will save us from a future hell and give us a future heaven. However, genuine faith is an active and ongoing disposition of trust in God that grows as we persevere in our prayer. As we grow in faith, we learn to trust Jesus more. We are progressively saved from the things that hold us captive now. Our current taste and experience of freedom anticipates our complete freedom in the resurrection and the coming kingdom of God. It has been said that God brought Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus, and then God removed Egypt from Israel in the wilderness. Israel was freed from the tyranny of Pharaoh at the Red Sea, but the Israelites remained captive to the appetites and idolatries they had acquired in Egypt. God took Israel to a place of emptiness to teach the people to trust him. We have been saved by, uh, saved from sin, from our fallenness, by baptism and faith in Jesus. But we are still attached to the things of the world. And the spiritual life is a process of learning detachment. God leads us to places where our idols are taken away so that our disordered desires can be purified and redirected towards him. The feeding miracles point us to the Eucharist because the Eucharist follows the same pattern. We offer life and creation to God in thanksgiving, just as Jesus gave thanks for the loaves and fishes. We offer our tithes to God to acknowledge God as a source of all that we have. We offer our prayers to God for all that we need. We offer our confession of sin for all that is wrong in our lives. We offer ourselves, our souls, and our bodies. What we offer to God is not enough. 
there's always some monetary or material concern that makes us discontented or anxious. There's always something we need in terms of healing, provision, reconciliation, wisdom, or guidance. And our manifold sins and wickedness always make our offering intrinsically inadequate. However, our offering is inadequate only in the world apart from Christ. We come to God in Christ as members of his body. In Christ, our inadequate resources are made sufficient. In Christ, our prayers are heard and answered. In Christ, we are cleansed from sin and our desires are redirected by the Holy Spirit. Christ feeds us with the bread of life and we are full. We come as fragmented people who do not have enough. We leave as the body of Christ filled with the Holy Spirit, having an abundance of love and grace to share. And this reverses the pattern of sin in Genesis 3, by which humans grab the creation to use for our own purposes and ignore God's word. We take things contrary to God's word because we think these things will meet our desires and our needs. Instead, that we discover that our, our idolatries make us empty no matter how much more we get. In the Eucharist, we bring the creation back to God. We reconnect all of life to God in Christ through the Spirit. We learn that we always have enough as long as Jesus is with us. As Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Eucharist is a pattern for life. As we offer life to God in thanksgiving every day, we learn to see the presence of Jesus in everything. We find the daily bread we need to sustain us. We find the wisdom and strength to meet the challenges. We discover God's joy and peace in the midst of the struggle. God's abundance replaces the scarcity of the world. And we grow towards the ideal that St. Paul expressed in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, when he wrote, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be both full and hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost.